everyone and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the show that covers horror franchises one movie in one episode at a time as always i'm your host mike snoonian and we have reached the end of the line our friends for mike reggie and jody we are taking one last road trip in that hemi cuda this week we are here to talk all about phantasm ravager and the wild almost two decade journey it took to hit the screen and as always, I'm not alone. So up first from Dread Central, Daily Grindhouse, Rue Morgue, and also a frequent contributor to the Losers Club podcast, we have Rachel Reeves. Rachel, how are we? I am good. I cannot believe we've made it to the final chapter of this incredible franchise, and I'm just honored and excited to talk all about it today. And I love that you were like flying down the road to get here in time to record. So for listeners that don't know, like she had to haul ass from a work trip to get here in time to record tonight. So excellent. <laughs> you know, there's love nothing it. that was going to hold me back from finishing this nothing. franchise. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. We also have coming back. She has been on every odd numbered Phantasm episode we've done now. So, you know, put that for a future trivia question. Uh, she is a contributor to Ghouls Magazine. You can also find her work over at Certified Forgot, Hear a Scream, and the Moving Pictures Film Club, who also did Possession this week for their podcast, same as my other show, Psychoanalysis. So great minds thinking alike. Uh, please welcome back Ari Power Shab to the show. Ari, how are we? Well, as the tall man says, I've enjoyed your despair. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> And also wore all a bunch of meat sacks. <laughs> yes, yes. So. No, I'm doing great. Um, I remember when we recorded about the first episode, I told you guys you were going to go on a journey. And now you know that that was true. Yeah, it no, is. No lies detected. <laughs> no lies. Absolutely. And a fun journey. This has been a fun franchise to cover. I know for me... The last three movies were first-time viewings, and the second one I had watched so long ago that I had literally forgotten everything about the movie except for, like, the ball, like, crashing through the door. Like, that was really about it. So it's been a really fun rewatch or fun first-time watch for these movies. But before we dive into what I think is going to be the largest uh, making of section we've ever done like it might rival that of our freddy versus jason and alien 3 like behind the scenes uh we're going to talk about our first thoughts on this movie and ariel uh why don't you kick things off for us yeah absolutely um well this movie's a mess <laughs> but it's a beautiful mess and it's like a cousin that you love who keeps kind of screwing up but you keep giving him chances um don't know if anybody else has cousins like that. We all do. Um, 
I so the first time I watched these movies, I watched them all back to back, like in a weekend. Um, you know, like I slept and ate and stuff, but like I watched them all in succession. And it's how so I watch I the Rocky have... movies, so I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yes, it's a good way to do it with some franchises. Um, so I didn't experience the you know twenty year gap. It was just back to back for me. The end of the fourth movie really does feel like an ending, and so then to know right away you're going into a fifth one is a little bit weird. But I had like I was so emotionally attached to the characters at that point that I was just like really moved by Ravager, which is not something any normal person should say, but I find it being true. Um, and I feel like as much that this movie is kind of a mess, it feels like somebody, Coscarelli or others maybe, um, processing what it means to get older. And that's in a lot of movies, I know. Um, but if the first movie is about is about answering the question, what happens when my loved ones die? Then maybe Ravager is about what happens when I die. And I, you know, is it that deep? Is it meant to be? Is it not? What is it really? Nobody's ever meant to know, maybe. Um, but I feel like they kind of bookend themselves that way. So I was a little bit rambly, but, but you know, so is Ravager. What did you... <laughs> It is a little bit. It is a little bit all over the map. What did you notice watching the movies all back to back like this? Like what really jumped out to you in terms of style or tone of the movies? Because I know for me, watching you know really all five of them over the course of a month, mm-hmm. the the first movie and the fifth movie couldn't be any different from one another in terms of like mm-hmm. tone or style. Oh, yeah. And... I feel like each movie is pretty different. Like, really, the only thing the movies have in common are the characters. You know, the first one's really dreamlike. The second one is trying to be something else because they didn't want to do the first one again. The third one is, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, like we talked about last time. You know, the fourth one's kind of this, like, emotional callback, especially with all the, like, unused footage from the first movie. And then the fifth one is just... Like, they really wanted to keep the story going. So, like, if you like one of the movies, you might not like all of the other movies because they're not, they don't really feel the same. Like, however, Friday the 13th movie pretty much feels the same to a certain point. Like, that's not the case with Phantasm. Hear that. Absolutely hear that. Rachel, how about yourself? So this was, obviously, uh, people have been playing along. This is a first time watch for me. And it's just like, I just can't believe, you know, we've we've made it to the end here. And it's been a roller coaster of varying <laughs> proportions and kinds. Um, but I will say, like, seeing all these familiar faces having clearly, you know, understandably aged over time, like, it's, you know, found myself getting a little emotional about that. And it's touching to see them and this franchise is such a treasure for that being able to really spend so much time with these characters and these people and that's something that's truly unique about this and there's a lot of big swings and um 
you know, I uh, don't necessarily think all of them paid off or and I some of them, I think they didn't even know what they were swinging for. Maybe like I'm not convinced. I don't know what they were doing. And I'm not you know, I'm not convinced they knew what they were doing either. But I appreciate what they were aiming for big picture wise, I think. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see as yeah. we talk about the movie. I you have a note here and I think we're going to agree on it that it feels like a fan film. Yeah. If it it feels like a fan film and it feels like okay, like I'm sorry. I I know I talk about Fast and Furious a lot, but I think that there is something to be said cuz this is oh like the fast I love the fast. This is like <laughs> I love the Fast and Furious. Okay, great. So this is like <laughs> Have we talked about this before? Well, I don't know, but we are we're going to if okay. we have it. But like this is like yeah, fast this is Fast to. 5 where like Everything gets cranked up to 11. It just goes absolutely absurd. Like, obviously, I don't think it succeeded as well as Fast Five because that's really where the franchise completely got reinvigorated and set it off in a whole I mean, direction. they didn't drag a vault through the street, so. Like, well, no, but they had the giant <laughs> spheres, you know, and that kind of that's stuff. True. Just completely like cuckoo bananas. And, you know, but it's it kind of has, you know, what happened in Fast 4, which was just like, oh, God, what is this? This is a little painful. And it's all the characters you like, but something's just not quite there, right? And so it's it's kind of, it's interesting comparisons, I think. But it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I miss Coscarelli's intimacy and style and eye. And there's some things here that is just... I don't know. Unforgivable feels strong, but. <laughs> well, I look forward to talking about that. I know for me, again, first time watch, it's um, the fifth movie in a series is often where it feels things go off the rails. I'm thinking of Rocky Five, mm-hmm. which yeah, good, feels yeah. so out of step with the rest of the series, like everything that came before and after it. You know, Friday the third, and often part four is a high point of a series. You know, think of Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, uh, Halloween four, the return of Michael Myers, like the uh, dream, um, the Dream Master in Elm Street. Like you get some sneaky great entries in these franchises, and then the fifth movie comes along. And you end up with, like, the dream child. You end up with a new beginning. Yeah. You end up with Rocky Five, And it feels like that here. Um, there are things to very much like about this movie. There are things to appreciate about this movie. But it does have a very slapdash feel to it. Like, nobody quite... they Everybody knew they wanted to make more of these. But nobody could quite articulate a clear vision for how to make another one or they didn't have the necessary um, means to make what they wanted to do. And that's what we're going to talk about now because there is a wild backstory uh, when it comes to making these movies or this movie in particular, which just do a quick Google search and we'll post, hopefully we'll post some links to some of the articles on Dread Central and Bloody Disgusting and other sites that have come out since this movie's release. Uh, Stephen Romano, who we're going to talk about, Dave Hartman, who we're going to talk about, 
have like gone into real detail about the journey it took to make this movie and also i mentioned him last week like dustin mcneil's book uh phantasm exhumed and also um further exhumation as well as the books in the two books in particular i relied on when like putting together this next session so strap in uh (laughs) if you hate the sound of my voice i will apologize in advance but as you can imagine when there's an 18 year gap between sequel sequels there's quite a journey to make its way to scream so fans do believe oblivion is going to be the final resting place for the phantasm series and the final moments have that visual of like a younger mike and reggie driving into the darkness using that cut footage from the original phantasm and ariel like i know you weren't on our oblivion show but would you care to feel how the ending of oblivion i think you mentioned it briefly when we talked about our feelings check but anything in particular that stood out maybe in just the way that sequence is like staged and using the um previous cut footage from phantasm um I think it didn't impact me as much as it could have because I knew I was going right into another movie. And so in some ways, I not that I wish for a 20-year gap to see Phantasm V, but like I know how that can be when you're really waiting for something and you're excited and another movie's coming out that you didn't think you were going to get um, me with every time a Saw movie comes out. <laughs> but like I couldn't even really sit with it I maybe should have let myself sit with it because um, I was just kind of like, okay, and on to the next thing. And I don't think I had looked up all of the background that you have that we're going to talk about. Um, So I think I didn't really even have a sense of like, that was meant to be the end. And, um, you know, that five was kind of thought about way later. So Like, now I appreciate it a lot more because I can know that it was supposed to be the end. But I think the first time I saw it, I didn't, it didn't stick with me like that. Okay. Yeah, I have to imagine it does hit a lot harder if you're watching this in 1998 or, you know, the early 2000s. If you're a longtime fan of the series, as opposed to what we're doing, which is like slamming them down one after (laughs) the other. Um, So the first seeds of, ravager sown in 2000 a couple years after oblivion there is a writer and film critic uh steven romano who hosts phantasmania at the original alamo draft house cinema in austin texas it's like a week weekend long event over april fool's weekend where all four movies are going to screen in 35 millimeter. It's a theatrical premiere of Oblivion in a 35 millimeter print, since that had gone right to video. And Coscarelli, Reggie Bannister, Angus Scrim, they're all in attendance. Uh, they do Q and A's, film intros, fun little like tidbit. Like Reggie Bannister personally serves ice cream cones to the fans which is kind of a nice little you know something that you get at events like this that the draft house is really known for uh rare footage is shown including brad pitt's audition for phantasm 2 which i should have searched for online and i did not i wonder if that's been posted um 
But Romano is doing more than like hosting and being the gopher and chauffeuring his guests around. The whole weekend, he is pitching Coscarelli on ideas and how to continue the series moving forward. And he actually hands Coscarelli three scripts that he had written uh, under the title Nightmare Hospital, and it would have moved Phantasm to a TV show. And Coscarelli, he's obviously doesn't want to like read the scripts at first because if he ever continues the series and he reads them and anything is used from them at all he can get sued so he's very as any creator should be like they should be wary of accepting fan scripts uh on the spot which i have to ask both of you mia goth recently at sundance like very graciously accepted a script from a fan uh who shot his shot but where does that thing go and like what would you do with if you were in that position as mia or as the the as, as mia put yourself in her shoes for a moment it, i mean it's it's nice of her like it's super nice and i'm sure that's huge but also i mean it sets her up for risk potentially, right? And, you know, and then if nothing happens, that person's like, oh, nothing happened. I don't know. It's very nice. I think it's very kind of her. I think her intentions were to be sweet, but not a good thing for people to try to, you know, do that all the time. Well, and like, not. I mean, if she can make a script happen, that's very cool. But like a lot of times you hand a script to someone and that's going to be the end of it. So also like... I can imagine wanting to be nice and not hurt someone's feelings in the moment. But then am I doing more like long-term damage by giving them false hope? I can't even imagine what it's like to be that famous to have to make that decision. So I probably would just freeze. Yeah, (laughs) I've had to like during Q&As with directors, like we've gotten the like, can you read my script question? And I've had to be like, we're just moving right on. Like you are not coming down here to hand this gentleman or this this young fine young lady your script right now like do it on your own time this mm-hmm. is not the place to do it so uh but you know good for him for shooting his shot i guess um Coscarly does eventually decide to read them he is impressed enough that he does begin a writing partnership with romano with the goal of continuing the series basically in any medium that will have it uh, Romano even takes the reins of like continuing Phantasm as Coscarelli is developing his movie, um, Bubba Hotep. So we fast forward to 2003 and the first issue of a planned four-issue miniseries uh, in comic book form called Phantasm Overminds is published by uh, Ex Machinana. Did I say that right? Ex Machinana. Who knows? I cannot pronounce words. Anyway. I'm going to say yes. Okay. You did great. I, it's I good enough for the better, beach. So. Yep. Yeah. It's my high school English teacher used to say it's close enough for the beach. So uh, it's written by Romano, the arts by Mike Broom, Noah David Henderson, and Ricardo uh, uh, Bernardini. Oh, my goodness. I cannot speak, but that's okay. It takes place in the far future. And we learn that Mike has been in a coma for centuries, uh, ever since the events of Phantasm in 1979, and Jody has been dead since 2020. So I, I, I ask you both the question, 
Does Overmind predict COVID? Is Romano <laughs> some sort of weird Rasputin? Wizard. Uh, he's a, you know, is he a real? Yes. Does Romano have wizard powers? I mean, obviously, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No further questions. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I think a lot of sci-fi predicts a lot of stuff that does happen, and there's probably excellent reasons for it. Sure. Uh, but just anyway, Dr. Kazada is heading a dream laboratory uh, and he has been basically watching all of Mike's dreams. And those are the events we see depicted in the four Phantasm movies. Rocky is reintroduced to the series and she has upgraded her nunchucks for a katana, which another question. A couple years later, the Walking Dead comic series is going to... Uh, come out and we're going to have the character of Michonne who is introduced with uh, two zombies and a katana and I gotta wonder you know is Robert Kirkman a fan fan and he is like one of those people that is grabbing over uh, over minds hot to see how the series continues I mean I don't know enough about The Walking Dead um, in Robert Kirkman's history but so yeah I'm going to say 100% absolutely Without a doubt. <laughs> Excellent. Yep. I would like to you heard it that. here. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking news. You heard it here. Also, two zombies in a katana is certainly a band somewhere. Oh, right? absolutely. Like it it has to be. be. Okay. It has to be. You have to dress up for it. The katana doubles as a mic stand. It's all there. They just do a weird okay. zombie cover of like, you know, two turntables and a microphone, but it's <laughs> two dead zombies <laughs> in a katana. It's, it's that. They do the cranberry zombie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a great karaoke number. That's really it. That's the only two songs they play in all of their sets, and then they're it. That's why they're called Two Zombies. That's right. <laughs> okay. So despite the first issue coming out, Um, And despite all four books being scripted and three of them illustrated, only the first book is ever produced as Ex Machinana goes out of business. So to give an idea of where the series would go, uh, and you can read a lot of this, like Dread Central had like, like I think like a four part interview with Romano that came out around 2016. And he talks like very in depth about developing the comic book series in particular and where it would have gone. So to give an idea where the series would go, here's a description of a character that would have made their introduction in the third comic. It's from an article, Phantasm Forever, Stephen Romano details unmade comic books and the movie they almost spawned. He reveals that the third issue would have been the would have shown the debut of Kid Dead, a bizarre new character of his own creation. Quote, Kid Dead is this crazy 16-year-old zombie kid. He's looking for a fight. He's got nothing to lose. Don't fuck with him or he'll be just as dead as he is. <laughs> he wears a trench coat, has a cricket bat with the words eat me carved into it. He has long hair and he gets around on roller skates. So he's like Bart Simpson, except like a zombie and 16. <laughs> Pretty much. It sounds like a character that a 12-year-old boy would come up with. It also reminds me a lot of, I don't know if either of you watch much anime, but there's an anime called Parasite where like, one, yeah, oh. maybe, no, okay. Um, well, the main villain roller skates around with a bat and like does 
havoc and a bunch of other stuff happens. But the way you described it, I was like, that sounds just like Parasite. Yeah, it is. I think you hit it perfect. Like this is something he had probably dreamed up at 12 years old. And it's like, I don't care what I do. At some (laughs) point in my life, I am going to like introduce this character somewhere. Like, I think when I was 12, I came up with the idea of a traveling troupe called like Uncle Fester's puppet show for the elderly. And at the end of high school, we started a uh, spoken word slash jazz fusion quartet. Oh God. Every bit as horrendous as it sounds <laughs> that we named Uncle Fester's puppet show for the elderly. Oh, my. Oh, Yeah. It was the 90s. It are was... there recordings of this somewhere? There I, there are not. There are no recordings mm, of that. I don't know if I believe that. There <laughs> might be in my mother's attic a VHS tape that has like the sole recording of my one-week hardcore band Spam Cookies. Oh, wow. That our only show was our high school talent show, and we got thrown off stage because I <laughs> said things you're not supposed to say at a Catholic school's talent show for families um i think there might be a vhs tape still in my mother's attic and one day i'll have to find it and digitize it yes please but there's got to be a patreon level ten thousand right like like ten thousand dollar level patron will okay be Listeners, that. You heard there's it. someone out there um okay so sorry no no trust me if it would there are very few things i wouldn't do for money so i would (laughs) definitely put that up there uh if the price is right um so the comic book is dead but as the comic book is being developed new line cinema is talking to coscarelli about a trilogy in Mm. like remaking phantasm so Coscarelli's meeting with Jeff Katz at New Line. And this is right around the time, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake has just come out and has done like big box office. Like it is a hot thing. And it's just after like the ring had been imported to the United States and remade and also did like extremely well. So the idea of these horror remakes, like they're fresh and like whatever properties are out there, let's take them on. The idea was pitched as a trilogy that would have capped off by Roger Avery's Phantasm 1999, which we we detailed all the history of that in our Oblivion episode. And what's interesting is like years before Halloween 2018 and years before Scream 2022, this version of Phantasm also would have been a requill about 15 years before that became the hot way to do it. Um, you would have had the original Mike, Reggie, and Tallman returning in some fashion to basically hand off the baton to new characters in the next set of movies. Uh, Coscarelli was adamant about Angus Scrim playing the tall man in New Line Cinema. They're more like ambivalent about that. They also are more interested in hiring, you know, what, film what film companies are doing like we want who's on television who's very attractive and who's hip right now that we can hire to make this movie so i'm going to ask like if thinking back to your wb days your cw or upn days which members of like gossip girl or the gilmore <laughs> girls or dawson creek who are you getting to play mike reggie the tall man who are we getting here 
I mean, Rory would be a good stand-in for Mike. You know, a little, like, quiet but smart. And, you know, I can see somebody being mm-hmm. like, you're special. You know, you're going to go to Yale. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, it's her. But, but then if that's Rory, does that make Lorelai Reggie? <laughs> They're just like. <laughs> I mean, that also kind of checks yeah. out. I feel like. I feel like Lorelai would would do some of the stuff that Reggie does, flying down the highway, just mm-hmm. just quickly, just bantering about pop culture references so mm-hmm. super fast. All right, Jensen Eccles is a, a Jody. Could work. Who is that? He is the co lead in Supernatural. Oh, he would be the yeah. dean in mm-hmm. Supernatural, and I think he would really work. As un, you know, he already has the muscle car, so you're That's halfway true. there. Wait, is that who played so, Dean in Gilmore Girls? Is that his name? No, that's the other guy. Oh. That's the other Supernatural brother. Is not named Dean in Supernatural. Oh, okay. Padalecki, yes. maybe? Yes, Something Jared Padalecki. <laughs> who would probably um, make a better mic, except he's like a foot taller than Jensen Eccles. He's very tall. And it yeah. would have been like a very weird dynamic, almost like a, <laughs> of mice and men dynamic, if that's the route they went. But Yeah. So... When you asked this question, my brain did a weird jump because what I was watching at the time was I was watching a lot of WWF. Okay. So I started thinking about which wrestlers to cast. <laughs> oh, do this. Let's do <laughs> I this. Don't, I don't know if it works. I don't know if it checks out. I mean, The Undertaker has to be the tall man. Yeah. Okay. Fun fact, um, I've never liked The Undertaker. But continue. All right, I gotta okay. go. I'll Sorry. see you guys later. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're no but tell me, friends. but to pitch the Undertaker as your tall man. Um, I mean, uh, how? What do I have to say? It's just perfect. Like he's got such an imposing presence. He can walk slowly at you, uh-huh. and you can be scared. He's got the deep voice for it. I feel like he could tear across the country on his hog if he needed to. He's the Undertaker. Um, yeah, man. So you want he's, the American badass powers. version? You... No, I don't want the American badass version. I'm just saying he could get around quickly mm-hmm. if he needed to. Um, yeah. So now I'm, I'm like, who would I put for Mike and Reggie? I don't know. I mean, Edge and Christian, perhaps, at this time. Oh, when they were doing the... Nine second pose or the five whatever. second pose? Yes, yes. They totally reeked of awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that would work. <laughs> yeah, that that would work. One of them would have to be a little bit more calmed down as Mike, but if you want to go a completely different route for Reggie, you could have you would just have to glue a ponytail to the back of Stone Cold Steve Austin's oh, God. head. <laughs> Yeah, he I mm-hmm. he's kind of a natural Reggie, I feel. I feel that could work. I like this. I think we need to introduce more segments where we replace casting with like WWF wrestlers. <laughs> I think this needs to be a regular segment. I'm ready on the to show. Go. I absolutely would be all about this. Yes. Um I'm here for it. yeah, we need to do this. So This deal with New Line is definitely, it's far enough along where the Hollywood Reporter puts it on the front page of their site on in March of 2005. 
But while they're trumpeting this deal, behind the scenes, Coscarelli has gotten cold feet due to New Line Cinema's hesitancy to bring Scrim back. Mm -hmm. He felt his own voice was going to be neutered in the process, that he was going to be replaced, and the Phantasm movies are his baby. So both sides like mutually pull out after the uh, handshake deal had been made, which led to uh, the trilogy or the reboot being killed off. So now we move on to Phantasm Forever, which is Coscarelli and Romano teaming up uh, once again, they co-write the Masters of Horror episode, Incident on and off a mountain road, which Coscarelli directs for the Showtime series. In 2006, they're adapting the Nightmare Hospital storyline story into the Phantasm Forever script, and it has four distinct sections to it. Morningside, Destiny and Darkness, World of Shadows, Overminds, and it would have done the kind of pulp fiction trip where each section is introduced with a title card. Like you would have had like four distinct chapters in it. The idea is all of the previous movies have been a bad dream. Mike's been in a coma for decades. Reggie has died of old age and Jody has been sitting with Mike. Uh, he is tended to by Dr. Morningside who just happens to look an awful lot like the tall man. Hmm. Uh, during a therapy session, Morningside transforms into the tall man, at which point Mike pulls out a pistol and shoots himself in the head, taking his own life, figuring this is the only way to kind of end the tall man coming after me again and again. He does that, and we go to chapter two, where he wakes up in a new reality with no uh, Dr. Morningside, no tall man. Mike has been living with Reggie and his family after Jody's death. Uh, and they've been living a fairly quiet, happy existence. But before long, the tall man shows up again with his minions. The next section jumps to like a post-apocalyptic future, similar to what we're going to see in Ravager. There are two mics in this section and would have seen uh, Michael Baldwin uh, facing off against evil Mike, who would have been played by James Legrois from Phantasm 2. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so kind of like Superman 3, except with different people playing uh, Mike, the two actors that have. And no word if LeGras would ever sign on. Like they they hadn't even contacted him Mm -hmm. to do this. And my understanding is like there's no love lost with James LeGras and like Michael Baldwin, like Baldwin is like kind of like been on the record of bad mouthing him on the Phantasm commentaries. Um, and Legrois has like turned down pretty much every opportunity to ever appear at, you know, any of the Phantasm conventions. So probably a long shot that yeah. you're going to have this go down. But that was the idea. The last section is a return to the hospital with Mike figuring out the tall man's motives and defeating him once and for all. And the end of the movie would have been like Mike Pearson, now a college professor, narrating his autobiography, Dreamers in the Darkness. And there would be visuals of the tall man kind of haunting a new group of young kids and adults in a way that would have led directly into a remake of the movie. So again, like a passing of the baton. It is wild ambitious stuff as most of the as we've seen like the reach of phantasm movies often 
outstrip the grasp of what they're able to do. So this would have been pretty ambitious. But Coscarelli goes so far, like he really likes the script. He goes so far as to arrange a table read of it. And he takes it a step further by like setting it up in a studio against a green screen so that they can actually place like special effects and moving backgrounds behind them as they're doing the table read. It's kind of like a moving storyboard. Uh, he wants to use this as a way to attract investors. No idea if they actually had the cast perform <laughs> in or bikinis to attract bi- investors well, like yeah. they did for Oblivion. Yeah, that's where that's where you went wrong, right? I mean, clearly. yeah, that's where the money is. Is Reggie Bannister in a or bikini? Him and oh, Anger Scrim and <laughs> Anger Scrim in a banana hammock, yelling "boy." <laughs> Probably would have got him arrested, but... Yikes. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, listeners. So Scrim, Thornbury, Baldwin, Bannister, and uh, the actress Lester who played Rocky, they all agreed to read for this pro bono. Ashley Lawrence of Hellraiser fame reads the role of Reggie's wife, uh, and Romano reads the role, the grunk role of Evil Mike. I think he was contacted and was like, no thanks. They do five read-throughs that day, and Coscarelli edits it together for a rough draft version of the final project. Totally top secret. Cast never even gets to see this final version. Uh, The only person that Coscarelli would show it to is Angus Scrim, who allegedly really liked it, but he's so pleasant. Like, I don't think he's ever said a bad word about anybody or anything. Mm -hmm. So... um, Coscarelli ends up leaking it himself during a tribute video he records for the original Alamo Draft House in 2007 when they're closing down to go to a new location. Um, there's a little like 20 second snippet of, it, of the uh, read through that plays as Coscarelli's watching it and then Coscarelli does his uh, little recording. Um, That ends up getting uploaded to YouTube in 2007, uh, and then Ain't It Cool runs with it and says, like, oh, there's a new Phantasm coming, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we have for it. So, you know, hard-hitting journalism you would expect, uh, well-vetted from Harry Knowles and company during that time. Like, just the most reputable, reputable (laughs) news source. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Okay. A lot of fan interest, but no money to make this. So, long story short, like, actually, down the road, Coscarelli really wanted to include the script reading as part of, like, a bonus feature on the Ravager um, Blu-ray, which would have been awesome, um, but apparently very costly to do because the Screen Actors Guild eventually... They look at it and they rule, well, because it's done, you're recording it on professional equipment, professional cameras, you're adding green screens and special effects, like, it's too close to actual filmmaking, so you would have to pay the performers, like, what their um, salary would be for something like this, which would have made it too expensive to include, and I did some searching, and you cannot find anything aside from that like 20 second clip that you see on YouTube. So it is really hard to find if it's out there. It's probably never going to see the light of day Uh, or who knows. I don't know. Now all I want is to see that like just because it's impossible to find. I really do. And I am going to suggest that our show finds that script and does our own impromptu 
script reading of it and do we do it as a bonus episode at some point because yes. i think that would be a lot of fun yes so yes listeners if you want that let us know and find it for us Thank <laughs> you. we can probably find the script we could probably find the script okay the reading yeah listeners if you're out there and can find that table reading send it our way okay okay this all brings us to ravager and phantasm is eventually saved by you guessed it winnie the pooh of course right so we had in our if you had that on your bingo card give yourself a gold star go play the lottery tonight so david hartman who's a longtime phantasm fan he was working as a storyboard artist on animated series like the extreme ghostbusters and godzilla the series before making his way over to the director's chair on animated shows like the jackie chan adventures and roughnecks the starship troopers chronicles is and he's producing and directing those shows in 2007, Hartman joins Disney to direct and produce over 50 episodes of the animated show My Friends Tigger and Pooh. And look, not to discredit his horror bona fides, he's also uh, serving as an artist on the short-lived spin-off comic for Rob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects, which had no idea that existed, and now I want them. Uh, he had done like the art direction on Zombies videos for uh, American Witch and the Lords of Salem. And meanwhile, Coscarelli is a massive fan of Vahoven's Starship Troopers. He calls it one of his favorite movies. He's purchased props from the movie to display in his own home. Like he absolutely loves it. And he's also a fan of Roughnecks, the animated series, which I just picture like a 40 something Don Coscarelli in his pajamas on Saturday morning, <laughs> eating, you know, Captain Crunch and watching this animated show. And that fills me with joy. So Hartman, he meets Coscarelli in 2002 when his editor for Roughnecks, Michael T. Smith, signs on to produce uh, visual effects for Bubba Hotep, the free of charge uh, for Coscarelli, which seems to be like a running theme in Coscarelli's career. People really like him and are like, we'll discount our rate or work for free for you because we want to see your stuff happen. We've seen it with K&B on Phantasm 4. We've seen it with like the Civil War reenactment troupe. Oh, like, yeah. just give us a donation. Like, he must be the world's nicest dude because he gets people to be. do a lot of work for him for free. So good for you, Don Coscarelli. And now that I've said that, we'll probably get like breaking news that like there is a basement full of Cub Scouts that he's like choked to I was death. Say, or something. Maybe he's just like got a ton of blackmail on people and maybe. it's just like do my visual effects or, I, or else. Or he knows or he knows how to like he's a cult leader. <laughs> he has like cult powers and maybe that's what it maybe is. Maybe he's a vampire. Okay. He's Seems... just like glamoring everybody. Are, are we really just going to slide over what Mike said about a basement full of cupcakes? Yes. <laughs> yes. We're not going to no. come back to that? Okay. <laughs> very, very specific visual. Okay, yeah. now that we've ruined any chance of Don Coscarelli ever appearing on the show to talk about his storied career. Um, so Hartman decides, hey, I'm going to go work on this movie as well. Uh, and in... Coscarelli asks him, like, do you know how to do, like, wire removal work? And Hartman says, of course I do. Goes home and Googles, how do you do wire removal work on <laughs> film? Um, 
fast forward a couple years later in Coscarelli is hiring Hartman for storyboard work on uh, his Masters of Horror episode. And Hartman himself like wants to move out of animation and more towards live action filmmaking using like the digital tools available to start, you know, filming short films and short web series. And one of his works is uh, this web serial Laser Fart, oh my um, which is about a man with a superpower to shoot lasers from his butt, <sighs> which, again, 12 <laughs> year old dream okay and apparently this is still you can find it online do so um what's notable about it is that the creator and star of it is dan Harmon, who would go on shortly thereafter to create community and rick and morty so you get you know pretty good pedigree there for a superhero that shoots lasers out of his butt god this is all starting to make a lot of sense i'm just gonna say because like thinking about ravager in the terms of like seeing it on paper and as a comic book like i just think it would work so much better yes and because like the visuals are great some of the back and forth like thinking about just the flow of how comics work and the panels and the imagery that you would be able to see like it would make so much more sense in that format and that but then translating it to film it's just maybe just a little bit more ambitious than they should have done yeah absolutely agree with that um no the ideas are solid but the execution is sometimes a, a bit lacking by 08, there's renewed interest in Phantasm. Anchor Bay updates Oblivion with a new DVD, has a better transfer, has new bonus features. Uh, Reggie Bannister and Angus Scrim appear in the indie horror comedy Satan Hates You, which I believe I screened that in Boston way back in the day. I think it was announced in 08 and came out in 2010, and we screened it. And I don't remember a lot about it, but I remember it being a lot of fun. Mm. Um, the five stars of the first Phantasm gather with Coscarelli at Chicago's Flashback Weekend to celebrate the movie. They do more screenings of the original, uh, including one at the Hollywood Cemetery, uh, which is projected uh, outdoors on a mausoleum. Oh, my God. So kind of a very cool way to show that movie. Yeah. Uh, at the... So there's a lot of fan interest, and we're coming up in the 30-year anniversary. There's kind of the expectation that we're going to introduce a new phantasm, but that comes and goes. Um, but behind the scenes by October, 2008 Hartman has gotten permission to assemble a team for like a weekend shoot of a new short film that will fit in the phantom phantasm mythos. And the idea is if it goes well, we'll see what we can do with it. If it goes awful, we're going to destroy it and never speak of it again. (laughs) So let's just see what we can do. And though it's in the movie, it's the exchange we have between Reggie and Dawn, like from her, from him picking her up. uh, And then everything we see uh, at her house up to the point where like he runs out of the house and straps on his weapons. And there's this idea, like, if we're going to do these short films, we should focus on Reggie, because from a practical sense, he lives close by uh, in Crestwood, and Baldwin lives all the way out in Austin. We can't afford to fly him out every weekend to do these. And from a story perspective, it makes sense, because, you know, we can do these, and if we do another Phantasm movie, they don't have to conflict with anything that's going to happen with Mike later on. 
Okay. Bannister and his wife, Gigi, offer up their own home uh, for the shoot. So you're looking at really nice house. So it really does pay to be a B-movie icon, apparently, in the <laughs> 90s and 2000s, because that is a gorgeous home. Um, shoot begins October 10th, 2008. If you're keeping score at home, that's about eight years before the finished project actually sees the light of day. So it goes really well. Coscarelli really likes it. It looks good. We can do more of these. They plan out a web series, Reggie's Tales. Um, it's a very leisurely shoot. Like they do it on weekends when they can. And it kind of mirrors the process of the first film. Same idea. Like we'll shoot it when we can. We can no set schedule. Coscarelli's not directing it, but he's overseeing the project uh, and guiding it. And he's, for all accounts, having a lot of fun. Like there's no pressure on him. And he's really enjoying this process. So the big issue as they're shooting is, A, we have no money. Um, how do we monetize this thing? Like, what site's going to host it? How much is an episode going to cost? Do we do a physical release? And I kind of had the question, like, do can either of you think of, like, another long-running series that was kind of reborn using this method? Like, it's gone into hibernation, and now we're going to use these short movies to reignite interest or take it in a different direction no no <laughs> me neither okay it's 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 interesting because it's like so many aspects of this feel just like a little bit before their time in certain ways yeah it's yes. like i feel like because of the fan interest like they probably could have done like a Kickstarter or something and made plenty of money and done it that way. And then, yeah. you know, or they could have monetized it on YouTube or there's plenty of streaming sites now that I'm sure, you know, mm -hmm. depending on quality would be happy to stream it and, you know, yeah. like, get monetized mm -hmm. that way. And it's it just at this time, I'm not yeah. sure. I'm sure there was you know a few options, but it wouldn't have been quite so easy or the quality wouldn't have been as good or the amount of options wouldn't be as diverse as they are now. Yeah, I agree. Like, it's just a few years ahead. And they're eventually a fan starts a Kickstarter for Ravager. Oh, okay. And Coscarelli is like, no, take this down. Like, he is like, we don't want to do This is not the route we're going to go. He doesn't want to take fan money and, or you know. No. The, um, the... Which. I understand. I understand what, that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, like, that's what, like, Rob Zombie does now. Like, he did 31 purely on a kickstarter like oh, we'll raise the funds for it and we'll do it um mm -hmm. jeremy gardner who did the battery like his second movie um tex montana will survive which is a one-man comedy that's kind of a take on like bear grills and survivor man after he shot it for about a thousand bucks and was shopping it he said you know what give me fifty thousand dollars over kickstarter and if you do that i will just post it free on youtube and you can do whatever you want with it and if you contribute to the Kickstarter, I'll send you a Blu-ray and the script, which is what I did. It's an awesome movie. Mm -hmm. So he was like, I'm not even going to bother trying to sell it to a company. Like, I'm just going to throw it online if I can make what I think I would have made selling it to a distributor. Yeah. So there's a lot of ways you can have that done. So a little bit ahead of its time. Okay. Yeah. 13 chapters planned. Uh, most of them we're going to see in the movie, so I'm not going to go into detail here. Couple little fun facts: the horse farm they were using. They're looking at the barn. They're like, not quite what we're looking for. So the proprietors are like, "Well, we'll just build you a new barn," which is what they did. Because again, okay, Don Coscarelli has cult <laughs> powers and can make people do things for him. 
Um, the cave, the exteriors of the cave, like in the webisode, it's the same one used in the Adam West Batman TV show in the finale of the director's cut of Army of Darkness. By 2010, no outlet for the web series. They add two new scenes. They decide, like, we got to bring in Angus Scrim and feature the tall man in order to drum up interest. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like Phantasm. Mm-hmm. Um so there's two scenes they shoot, I think, over a weekend. One of them takes place in that white phantom zone, and the other, both in the movie, basically. They shoot both of those. Um, there's so little money for this, they can't even basically rent out a soundstage for the weekend. They film them in Hartman's Kitchen. So okay. that is, yeah, as one does. Um <laughs> By the time those are done, there's 45 minutes of material, about half of what you would want for a movie. There's still no home for the web series, and it's put on hiatus. And most of the principals at that point feel that maybe this is for the best, like maybe Phantasm's time has come and gone, or this would have been like maybe less than. It would have been like they don't want this to be their legacy, basically, is like, why are we doing this small web series? And it, it takes away from the movies. By 2011, as he's wrapping up, John dies at the end. Coscarelli announces, we're going to move forward with Phantasm V. He says he's not going to direct it, but he's going to produce and write it, and Hartman's going to direct it. There's one catch, he tells Hartman, you have to use the 45 minutes we've already shot for the web series. Like They have to be part of the movie. We're not going to be able to afford to like film 90 minutes of new stuff. And Hartman is like, I don't know what to do with this stuff. Like, these are supposed to be little standalone episodes here. And now I got to do like half of the movie is this. Um, So he kind of writes around it. That's where you get the dementia angle. And he seems to borrow from Romano and Avery's script for the big post-apocalyptic stuff. Mm. But it's a hodgepodge. They're filming in spring of 2013. Scrim is already in ailing health by this point with respiratory illnesses. He would pass in early 2016. Um, we have stand-ins for the tall men at times where they're wearing a pretty obvious Halloween mask. At times, you see that in the um, you see that in the outdoor scene at the uh, in the web episode, and also you see that um, in the hallways of the hospital. So, I'll have to watch for that. Yeah, it once you know it's there, it's like, oh yeah, it's pretty obvious that it's it's not a it's not anchor scrim. Um, they get around having no money and shooting without permits at places like Challenger Park by like baking a birthday cake. So if anybody asks, they're like, oh, we're having a birthday party for our uncle Reggie, and we just want to film it. Um, <laughs> which is again, that's awesome. Amazing. I love that's that. Amazing. Um, the uh, one set they have is the Linda Vista Community Hospital. That's where the bulk of the new material is shot. Uh, that place had been a hospital from 04 to like 1980. It was sold off as it fell into disrepair. Its doors closed permanently in 1991, and the new owners for a time uh, were renting it out for film shoots. So things like Pearl Harbor, Lords of Salem... Children of the Corn 666, Isaac's Return. Classic. Some of the ins- classic, of course. <laughs> we will not be covering the Children of the Corn never say never. series. I'm not going to put it to a poll um, because <laughs> I probably won't like the results. 
uh, the Insidious series parts of it, and some of like Buffy, Charmed, True Blood for TV series have shot there as well. So by the time Ravager is announced, the time it premieres, 927 days go by. Like, it takes a long time for this movie to come out. And fans actually get pissed. Like, it's really secretive. Um, some, like, a, a trailer premiered at some event that wasn't, or a trailer went up in Vimeo that wasn't supposed to go up. Uh-huh. And it got downloaded by fans and it circulated around. And Coscarelli was pissed about that. Like, he was really upset that people were, like, it's kind of like Phantasm 2, where, like, everything is in secret. He. Actors aren't getting all the pages. He doesn't want information to leak at all. And Hartman is like literally doing the VFX work on a MacBook Pro at his kitchen table, uh, like trying to get this film put together. Yeah, and you see that. I was going to say, and, uh, better than I could do at my kitchen yeah, table on a MacBook, but right. still. <laughs> While he's doing this, he's show running a transform, uh, Transformers cartoon. Um, it just takes a very long time for this movie to come out. And eventually it does at, Fa- at Fantastic Fest 2016. It makes its premiere. The audience reaction kind of mixed. I think they're happy to get a new Phantasm movie, but they're also like, what did we see here? So let's talk about what we saw here. That is the long and winding road it took. And thank you both for bearing with me. That was a big expedition exposition dump on my part. So fascinating. Sorry. Yeah, it's super interesting though. Rachel, what do you think works? Well, okay. You know, Dawn says something in this movie that kind of sums up my feelings about it. And it's she says, I'm still trying to make sense of this story of yours. <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of where I'm at. It's relatable. Yeah, it's like yeah. Don, you're right. I am also still trying to make sense of this story of yours. Um, but So what works, though, is, I mean, you still have a grounded heart to this film. You've got this core emotional group of characters, and having them involved consistently is so powerful, especially if you're a fan. Although I am, like, I get that Jody's there for, like, fan service, but also... I don't think Jody needs to be in this at all. And I'm a little confused why Jody's there at certain points, but that's something else. Um, and considering like, I didn't know any of this background when I watched it. So considering that those little snippets were filmed for com- something completely separate, I am kind of impressed actually like the approach that they took to kind of have it kind of flip back and forth and work some of all of that in like, yeah, it was a little disjointed, but it, I, I, I didn't, I never would have guessed like these were mm-hmm. filmed for something completely separate. So that's actually like makes me like those little bits a little bit more. Oh, and I will say, I, I thought that they did a really good job, like with the intro. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought it was pretty informative <laughs> playing like catch up, like, here's where we're at. This is what Phantasm mm-hmm. is. Like, I felt like compared to the past films, they actually kind of clipped through it pretty efficiently sure. and hit the high points. And it was like, oh, that was it. All right. And then there's the title card. And here we go. Like, I was kind of impressed. Mm-hmm. It's not like the last one where I felt like it was 25 minutes in and I like I knew nothing. Like, if I hadn't seen all the others, I would have zero clue what's going on. So I thought they did a better job with that. Yeah, I think that recap was a good move with how much time had passed and, you know, maybe that could bring in new Phantasm fans, although who knows. (laughs) Um, 
It it really does start to make a lot of sense hearing all that backstory because, I mean, I agree with what you said, Rachel. I wouldn't be able to guess that half the movie was filmed for something else, but it does feel like a lot of pieces put together. And so to hear that that's what it is and where that came from and all of the different pieces over so many years, I'm like, oh, that's how you get this movie. Because it doesn't feel like it has a clear point, Mm -hmm. but that's because it was, you know, on so many different projects at different times. Um, But I agree, the emotional relationships between the friends, that's what works best, and that's what, like, keeps me coming back. Yeah, do you both feel like Coscarelli doesn't serve himself well by holding on to these movies for so long. And part of it is like his his experience with the studio system before even before Phantasm like his first two movies don't really get any marketing push whatsoever and they're kind of just like dumped out there when he's like a really young filmmaker. And he had a lot of struggles with the studios on Phantasm too. Do you feel like he held on to these movies for too long and would have been served doing more things like Bubba Hotep and John dies at the end, like more original Mm -hmm. work where even though like he's the singular voice behind all five of these movies, I don't feel like I do like Don, uh, Don Mancini and child's play in that he seems to know where each he, everything makes sense in terms of like where the story is going, even when it takes a wild turn, it feels really organic. These don't. These just feel like it's time to make another movie. So what do we have right now? Would he have been better served maybe letting the reins go and creating more of his own? Because his original work is fun, solid stuff. I like both Bubba Ho and, and uh, John Dies at the end. I think so. I think that's the biggest. Like, I, like I, I, I get it and I appreciate it. And it's... I love having him involved, but at the same time, it's almost to its detriment sometimes because sometimes you need somebody who cares about it, but to come in with kind of fresh ideas. But it seems like he finds these people that are almost too diehard fans where they're like unwilling to look past some of the things because it's like, I mean, we've seen this with Scream and we've seen that it's like, sometimes you have to move on from these characters sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to and like that's where you get some really exciting things that happen to move the franchise forward and it it definitely does feel like this franchise is kind of i don't know like tripping over itself sometimes because it can't get past some of that stuff and so it i think and well the other thing would be if he had gone on because like bubba hotep is great john dies at the end i think was was it successful? I mean, I feel like it's thought of like relatively kindly. And it's like maybe if he had gone on to kind of spread his wings a little bit, he would have been able to get those writers, get that money, get those resources, and then he could come mm-hmm. back to it instead of right. feeling like he was like had the drive, but not the resources or the ability to really deliver maybe what he had hoped for. I'm not sure. Those are good points. He probably would have been professionally better well off. I feel like it depends on what his goal is. 
And like, if his goal is to ha- have more money and more resources and make better movies, then yeah, probably he should have let it go. But if it's something that like just is his and it's like his project and he just wants it to be fun for him, then I can see why he would hold on to it. But I also feel like I'm the kind of person who will like, you know, drive a car into the ground instead of getting a new one when I really should. (laughs) So I might have made the same mistake. I'm in the same boat as you when it comes to the car thing. Like I am Mm -hmm. desperately trying to squeeze every last mile out of mine right now. So I hear that. I just, I get where he's coming from in terms of like he wanting to work outside of the studio system, especially after getting burned by it. And we talked about, John Carpenter, when we talked about some of the Phantasm sequels and the route Carpenter went, where he was very much a gun for hire that never got too attached to anything. And I've joked before, like when it comes to remaking Carpenter movies, like his interest in the movie or how he feels about it is directly correlated to the size of the check that you write (laughs) for him. It was a $10 million check, sure, like the Fog remake, greatest thing ever, go ahead, don't care, you know, like... um, where Coscarelli, it does feel like there's that personal attachment to this, and maybe it's like working with friends. Maybe it's because Phantasm was the first hit that he had, and he always wanted to kind of recreate the high of like having that first real success. But I would have liked to have seen more original work from Don Coscarelli as well, because I think I don't know how like successful financially John Dies at the End was, but I know that I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I know that like Bubba Hotep is really fun, and you get to see a side of Bruce Campbell that you don't often get to see. Um, it like that movie, as ridiculous as the premise is, like has a real poignancy to it, and it's funny. It's often with. Coscarelli, he deal a lot of his movies deal with the concept of aging, the concept of getting older, the concept of losing friends and loved ones and feeling like your best days have been put behind you. And how do you cope and deal with that? Which leads me to my next question. How do we feel about incorporating this angle of the dimensions moving back and forth or reality moving back and forth where it's quite possible that you know reggie is just someone suffering from dementia and all of these movies have just been in his mind this whole time how do we feel that is incorporated here in this movie i for me it's it's the only thing i don't like about it is like that's kind of how mike was in the earlier films you know like we see in like the second one it's like no mike like it's you know he's he's he died it's like and so why now it's flipping to reggie that like it was reggie's thing the whole time so that that to me was the only thing that was like i don't you already did this <laughs> why are we now just like moving it over to this character so yeah i don't get the sense that the filmmakers knew what was real by the end and Like, I mean, in the movie, right? Like, they probably had a grasp on reality. But, like, at the end of Ravager, it's like, oh, is is Reggie dead? Does Reggie have dementia? Are we all alive and in a different, like, dimension or something? And I don't mind when movies do stuff like that when you feel like 
they the filmmakers know the answer yeah. like they don't have to tell me but i have to feel like they know it and i don't feel like ravager knows what's real and so it makes it not work as well for me i would buy into whatever thing they told me was true if it felt like they were behind it you know what i mean yeah i mean you think of a film like like shutter island right and just like yeah. how that you know, you get to the end and it makes you immediately want to go back and watch it again and see it from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Like I have no issue with that idea. I think that could be really interesting. Mm -hmm. And just the way, you know, Reggie's struggling to process everything that's happened to him or in, you know, just in some way and is just refusing to let go of these people. And like, that's where he's just going to stay. But I, yeah, I don't, know which is which and they just kind of undercut themselves by presenting too many options and being like well it's up to you guys I don't know believe what you want and so that's a little yeah. like it's hard for me to buy into either of them and it's just kind of like oh, okay I don't know I think it works best in the first half of the movie in Rachel the way you just put it there I think summed it up perfect like they add too many elements to it but for the first 50 minutes of the movie it's just the items that are in the web series and then reggie at the nursing home and if you just use those two elements to it and then flesh those out a little bit more that's a really fascinating story to tell yeah. and one especially when you have like mike there sitting by his side and i found that those moments were like very sweetly done and i think it continued showing like the deep friendship that these two men had over the course of like the four movies and the roles have been reversed. Like in the first movie, Reggie is the one looking out for his best friend's little brother. And now as Reggie has gotten older and less capable to take care of himself, you know, Mike being a good decade or so younger and much more virile and fit and of sound mind is taking over the caretaking role and not do in doing it in a way that he's like, feels very natural and doesn't feel like, like, oh, now I have to do this. Yeah. And it's very sweet. Well, and it continues the conversations that all the previous films have kind of been having, right? Like like these ponderings mm -hmm. on life and death and purpose and grief and guilt. And so it's like that is actually really interesting as it connects to just what all of these films have been discussing, you know, whether it's Mike or whether it's Jody or Reggie. And mm -hmm. um, I just feel like they sold themselves short and really trusting that and just like making a decision and being like, yep, this is what we're going to do. I think it would have just been so much more powerful if they had leaned just a little harder, whichever way that they chose to, it would have been a lot more powerful. I think. Yeah. I, I think that it's when you, I don't know why they were so in love with the idea of like, we have to show this post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> like every, every, as soon as Roger Avery introduces that idea in his unmade script it seems like that is the that's the kernel that coscarelli can never let go of in any future project they all end up in some sort of like ravaged post-apocalyptic world and i think of the original phantasm and that is like an extremely imaginative and creative movie with these very high concept ideas but it's still a very small movie it's still very self-contained there's not a lot of set pieces to it um and it's a lot of ways like a very quiet movie all of a sudden you're going very big you're going much much larger than any of the other movies have ever tried to go 
and you're doing it with probably less money than any of the other movies it ever had. And it just, that's where, like from the the second half on, that's where the fan film aspect of it really, it just, it feels cheap. Yeah. For lack of a better word. It just feels like, really like not just in the look of it but just the decisions they're making too and we mentioned like being a 12 year old boy like having the hemi cuda roll up at the end with machine guns blazing and i don't know where they got that stock music like the heavy metal guitar riff to play over it but it's like it just feels like what two kids would put together if they were smashing their action figures together i mean it feels like like if they if Reggie really does have dementia and is like kind of lost in his own mind, like that would make sense to me. So it's like I wish mm-hmm. they had stuck that heart landing a little bit harder because then it would have been like, okay, now I get it. Like this is him having his, you know, his Rambo moment, having his like, all right, we're doing it. We're saving the world. Like because I mean, that's a great fantasy to have. That's a great, like, and that would make a lot more sense. Even the visuals would make a lot more sense because it's just happening in his head. Yeah, and that, that yeah. Mad Max Cuda is, it's it's <laughs> super silly and super fun, uh, but it does feel very weird. <laughs> Something that I think, um, like, this discussion made me think about... Um, is the character of Dawn slash Jane. And, you know, it, it, so it must have been one of the clips they filmed for the web series when Reggie goes to Dawn's house, which is really his house, mm-hmm. which is very nice. Um, and he has this moment where, like, I'm, I'm like, first of all, Reggie, has it ever worked out for you <laughs> to, like, go off with a woman you met on the side of the road. It goes bad every single time, but okay, that's Reggie. And he learns her name and then immediately forgets it. And so it sort of fits into the dimension angle. And so, dimension, dementia angle. Um, And so I was kind of like, okay, are they going to go with that? Like, is that what's going on with him? And then a bunch of other stuff happens. And then he sees her later, but... She doesn't know who he is, and she's calling herself Jane, which doesn't make a lot of sense because he meets his other friends in this same post-apocalyptic world, and they know each other, and they remember each other. So, like, is Dawn the dream? Is Jane the dream? Are they both a dream? And they got mixed up. It seems like maybe they just needed a woman to cast, and she was available. (laughs) All of the, like, beats along that story with Dawn slash Jane don't make a lot of sense when you try to make it make sense. Yeah, that's a fascinating point. I hadn't even thought about tying in the forgetting her name, like, a few hours after he met her into the the dementia angle there. And then I couldn't quite figure out where she fit later on as well. Like, why is she here and why is she renamed unless you just want to make reggie feel even more disoriented Mm -hmm. i do think like what i liked about some of that angle there were a couple moments that worked one was when he sees the elderly gentleman on the walker just going through the hall and it's 
not meant to be scary from a like, oh, this is an evil character perspective, but it's a little bit scary from a, oh, this is kind of the fate that some persons like this happens to them like they just lose their capabilities like when you have the close-up on his face he just looks lost and scared um and shortly thereafter when it's shifting between like the ravager world and the hospital when he would run back and forth between the rooms and he would appear as like a different version of himself depending on like what cut they were doing i found like that sort of thing was actually done and handled pretty well but again you didn't need a lot to do that you just needed a hallway and different lighting and a different costume change that was about it can we can i ask you guys about what okay reggie has a wife and a daughter <laughs> like why is he so focused on you know, Mike and Joe, like he multiple times just well, they, kind of breezes over. Like the tall man's like, I could give you your wife and your daughter. And he's like, I want Mike and, Rhett and Jody. <laughs> it's like, I am so like, that is such a weird part about this. Like not even for a second does he have, I mean, you know, they talk about loyalty. It's like not even for a second does he have any loyalty to his family. And I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> Is it the second movie where they die? The yes. house, yeah, the entire house blows up. <laughs> the house explodes. Yeah, he like barely mentions them, just enough for us to know they exist, and then they they die. It's hmm. almost like they just should have just been like, just never talked about it again. But the, the, like the fact right. that they make a point to it. The only thing I can think of, and this is me just projecting so much into this, is like it's almost too painful. And so, like, can't even, like, go there. Even with, you know, if he's struggling yeah. with dementia, he's just got to think about this world of the tall, you know, focus on, like, a mission almost. And, like, it's too painful to even, like, process thinking about them, you know, somewhere else. Because they, they're actually dead and there is, some, you know, hope that Mike is still out there alive. I think a little bit of the... Is it the O. Henry, like the monkey paws short story where what would have come back would have been something that you don't want to see. And when the tall man is making that offer, like, okay, I will give you back your wife and your daughter, that a part of Reggie understands what he would give back would look like the zombie. But he even says, like, I don't want your zombie, you know, if, if he was getting back the version of his wife and daughter that you know, he knew in life, then that would have been something completely different. Because you're right, like, it is pretty weird that he's just chasing after his best friend and his best friend's brother for decades. And never really, this, the idea of avenging his family that's been killed never really crosses his mind whatsoever. Well, and then in the fourth one, it kind of seemed like he had moved on in some way Mm -hmm. like i I can't remember exactly what he says but i feel like there's some moments where he's like sorry mike like i can't do this anymore like Mm -hmm. i I don't want to do this anymore so it's interesting now to see him like so determined (laughs) i thought you meant by the second of but the by moved on from his wife and daughter i'm like yeah by the second one he's moved on (laughs) like really by act two, he's, like, trying to get in bed with Kem, you know, in terms of, like, where he is for the wife and daughter. He's like, oh, yeah, I was married at one point. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. 
Reggie. Perhaps he feels closer to Jody and Mike because they've been in his life longer. I'm not saying that's good, mm-hmm. but um, like he got married pretty swiftly in the events <laughs> between the movies. And so maybe, you know, I mean, he seems like he's been in Mike's life for Mike's entire life almost. So, yeah, but it is kind of weird that they never really go back to that. There are moments in the web series at work. I think of like the return of the Lady in Lavender, Mm -hmm. who makes a couple appearances here. One of them was filmed for as a new footage, the scene with Anger Scrim appearing as like the patient. I think that was the last thing that he actually filmed. He was pretty ill at the time, but he was able to lie in bed and she appears under the bed kind of puppeteering him. But the mausoleum scene was done for the web series. And A, she looks amazing. I mean, 30 years removed from the first movie and she looks incredible. And I thought it was like a neat little callback to the first movie, especially in these sequels are at their best when they're calling back to the first movie, like the history between the two it's unfortunate that they couldn't really give the effects the do they needed because that was not very good. Not a very good digital effect they were using there, but otherwise a pretty, probably the best scene of all the little web episodes. Agreed. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, it was kind of, that was one like, yeah, callback that I didn't mind. I thought it was, I wasn't expecting her to be back. Honestly, it was like, Oh, they, they actually got like, not just, a reference to her, but the actual woman who played that character. Like I thought that was actually a worthy callback and something that makes sense in this world. It's like, yes, that would be possible Mm -hmm. because he can has his minions all over and he can take whatever shape or whatever. So. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of like a a dagger at Reggie. Like he's playing with Reggie because, um, you know, Reggie and his friends trying to hook up with the lady in lavender back in the day and so it's kind of like, haha, remember this? Well said. Yeah. I don't get where the, and I keep harping on the apocalyptic world, I just don't get where this thing fits. Like, that's why the second half of this movie, like, there's no real plan. There's no, like, why are they all dressed like sand people from Star Wars, I guess, would be one of my questions. Um why do we have an angry wisecracking dwarf named chunk in this movie like yeah. what was the point and that to me is like the fan film you know that's something that like a person that doesn't have a real vision would say like what if we included an angry dwarf that would be yeah. pretty cool right like beavis and butthead would include an angry dwarf in their version of this movie i guess and i can't for the life of me figure out Like, some of the stuff is just embarrassing. Like, the giant silver sphere shooting a laser out over, like, the stock footage of a building crumbling. To me, is like, oh, dear. Like, we don't need this. This does not help. I just, I don't think that was ever the tall man's plan, right? Right. Like, it just seems like he was kind of, like like under the radar a little bit. Like, yes, they're saying he's going, like, town to town, but there's still something a little it's just a smaller scale (laughs) you know and he's doing Mm -hmm. that and moving on like i don't ever i never felt like his goal was world domination and and ultimate destruction of the human race because then what like what what is he gonna do after that 
I don't know, move on to another planet. Is that is that what he's doing? But it's I don't I don't I don't get it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I, I can't it, like justify any of it. And it's it's a lot more nefarious, I think, to work under the radar and mm-hmm. think about like you're leaving your loved ones in the hand of someone that you hope is going to give them like a proper send off and the proper care and respect. And there's something really nefarious about then quietly behind the scenes, like taking that body and adapting it for your own purposes, like shrinking it down to be the dwarf that goes back to your home world. That to me is a lot more unsettling than a mustache twirling villain that is like, you know, riding in in a giant orb, um, shooting down buildings while heads explode. Yeah. Like that just, it's just silly. Yeah. It's just wicked silly. It's just like, I know these people are all fans, but at the same time, it's just like, I don't know, as a fan, like, wouldn't, like, this is, is this what you want? Like, is this really what you mm-hmm. wanted for right. this franchise that you love? Like, this is yeah. really where you would, t- and I, I mean, apparently it is where he took it because as terrible as some of those effects are, guaranteed he spent a lot of time on them. So, oh, he did. Like, that's, it's just interesting. I can, it makes sense that he comes from a world of cartoons and animation because that's what this feel like, feels like. And it makes sense in that format. I just don't think it translates well, especially with something as small and intimate as mm-hmm. these films are. And that's when they work the best. So let's talk that end. Let's talk about that ending and the intimacy. Because I do, I rewatched it again this afternoon in prep for the show because i think the first time i watched it i'm like this just doesn't work like the idea of like the armored cuda and them driving off and i think why it didn't work was because you have the post credit scene um because it's 2016 and everybody wants to be marvel so of course you have to have a post credit scene but i kind of i Missed that entirely. Oh, okay. So there is a post-credit scene that reintroduces the dwarf uh, who comes back from the red planet with his hand blown off. Oh, no, I did see that. Okay. With the reintroduction of Rocky. Yes. Okay. Good. Pausing it before the credit scene. It actually works pretty well. Mm -hmm. Like there's something very beautiful about like the three best friends in that car and the way it's shot. There's no you only have like this bright white light shining into it. So it's kind of the opposite of oblivion where they're riding off into pitch blackness here. They're riding off in this bright, bright white light. And there's something really beautiful about this idea of like, maybe Reggie is passing from this world to the next. And this is the chariot that is bringing him. Maybe they're in different dimensions and in one world, this Reggie is passing on while his two best friends hold his hand, so he's not alone. But in this other world, he is still fighting the fight, but he'll be with his best friends forever. Like it's not going to there's nothing ahead of them but a long, straight road. And that's what they're gonna have forever. And that is a pretty powerful thing. I really liked that visual and that ending the second time around a lot more than the first yeah but okay but here why is jody there even in this film he 
Mike says, like, you know, oh, you were there for me, you know, when Jody died. And it's like, so I don't think anybody's arguing that, like, that happened. Jody died. <laughs> you know, what happened after that? Uh, up for debate. But yeah. that's, I wish Jody wouldn't have been there. And I just, because it's like, I loved, I love the idea of it. I love that Mike's there. I love that they're like, you know, there to the end. But just by having Jody there and then the, that scene at the end, even though, I mean, I love Rocky and would love to see mm-hmm. her back. But those two things just undercut the that whole storyline and that idea for me. It just makes it not make any sense. <laughs> Jody being there only makes sense if this is all in Reggie's head and he wants to put his best friend there and he aged his best friend up <laughs> over time. Um but otherwise, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And the scene with Chunk and Rocky is cringy anyway. But is it also the only time in the five movies where we haven't had one of our three main guys? It feels like maybe one of the only times. Oh, like just on screen in general? Like just do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because. That that scene makes the movie make even less sense than it did before. Yes. Because the only way that scene makes sense with Chunk and Rocky is if that post-apocalyptic thing is real. Yeah. Which then means Jody, Mike, and Reggie are all alive, driving off to mm-hmm. whatever. Which doesn't make any sense. But if it's all in, like, Reggie's head... Then why is there this aside thing happening where he's not a part of it? So, yeah, I love Rocky, but that scene was very weird. Okay, but what if, what if (laughs) that post-apocalyptic stuff is real and it's just tall man fucking with him and making him think he has dementia just for shits and giggles? Does that mean we get a sixth one? I mean, I think that's what they were hoping. <laughs> God, you put it so well there. There are so many natural endpoints for this series. Like points where like this it could have just been a natural conclusion for it and had a nice send-off. But then you have to have a but let's leave the door open just a little bit in case we can wrangle up the cash to do another but one. I think that's what's so frustrating because the tall man is this creature, this entity that exists out of space and time and dimensions and he can, there's, you know, you kill one and there's another, like he's like that kind of being that they've left, you know, relatively vague and confusing whether on purpose yes. or not, but like you you can have him, you could even have him change his face, you could have him change his being and he could still be the tall man, right? And I don't know why, like, they don't need to set it up. <laughs> like, just by what they've already created, even if Mike and Reggie and Jody are no longer in it, like, the tall man could go on and these things could still be explored. And honestly, I kind of hope that they do, but maybe just in, you know, an actual budgeted, more thought out way. <laughs> This will get remade at some point. It's uh, Everything gets remade. At some point, there'll be a reboot of Phantasm. Well, it, and I think you'll see it done by like a whole new creative team yep. with like Don Coscarelli getting like a producer's credit or, you know, story by credit, but handing off the reins. I hope so. My only concern is that he won't 
sign off on that because ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, he has retained control over this. But yeah. it's, it, there's so many incredible filmmakers out there working today that have grown up on these movies and have become really accomplished. Like we've seen this, you know, time and time again, we've seen this with Scream. You've seen this with Hellraiser, you know, regardless if you liked it personally, like it was a well-made film and like yeah. it took it in some interesting directions. Maybe you didn't like those directions, but it wasn't a bad movie right and so it's like you're seeing this this grip of people come up and actually having studios behind them like i would love to see that and i hope that at some point you know coscarelli can take a deep breath and sign on that line and really trust somebody that he thinks has the the best interest for the franchise in its heart you asked why jody is in the movie and the only answer i can give is because it's for the fans the fans would want to see it and that's all i could and as a wrestling fan ariel like (laughs) as now that you've exposed you know that sometimes when you do things just for the fans you don't always get a good result you don't always get you know you have to have like a I'm doing this because it makes the most sense for the story, not because like I will get fans to like yell and pump their fist for three seconds. Right, because sometimes the loudest fans aren't necessarily A, the majority, or B, correct. <laughs> Very well said. Absolutely correct. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rachel, would you have been okay with with Bill, or sorry, Jody, showing up by the bedside scene at the end of the movie, like holding... Reggie's hand as he's like fading out. Well, that's what that's what I'm talking. Like he is there. But I thought you meant you didn't like him there in the car scene. But would you have been okay? Like he, I don't want him there. But it's okay if he's by the, the car scene. Bedside. If this is a delusion, that makes that is like makes sense in some way. I don't like him by the bed because that if that is reality, he, mm-hmm. I mean he's dead like why is he there unless maybe he had some sort of like you know obi-wan glow behind him or something something that said like he's Mm -hmm. there but not there but it's it that's 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 what i was talking about it doesn't make sense if he's there if he is actually dead in reality got it or maybe mike and jody are dead and their ghosts are sitting by reggie see all of the i yeah (laughs) who knows i See, I had the opposite reaction. I like Jody by the bedside, and I guess I took it that maybe all four previous Phantasm movies are all a dream. That nothing you saw actually happened, that all of it was a fever dream that played out, and Jody never died, and Mike was never chased by the tall man, and you know, justice for Tim. Tim should have been by the bedside as Jody's surrogate son. Yeah, I it. But I... I think the reintroduction, and if you wanted to reintroduce Rocky, the time to have done that would have been rescuing Reggie. That would right. have been the, like, why do you have to have like Don slash Jane? Yep. Why not bring Rocky yep. in for that part of it? Because you raised a really good point. It's the only time you don't see one of the main characters' perspectives in any of these movies is this tacked on coda at the end again that feels just there for the fans but doesn't make a lick of sense uh although gloria lynn henry looks again amazing Mm -hmm. like looks better in this movie than she did in phantasm 3 like she just looks incredible would have liked to have seen more of her in this Mm -hmm. in a don't know why you couldn't have done more with her totally 
I, I'm guessing it had to do with the fact that Dawn was in the, the web series first. But, yeah, I don't know why they had to bring her back, though. But it could have totally been Rocky. Justice for Rocky. So, I don't know. Do we have anything else, or are we... Oh, Phantasm. I am curious, like, because, okay, Mike, this was your first time going through the whole franchise as well. Ari, I know you've done it before, but, you know, revisiting them, I would just, looking back, I would just love to hear maybe a few thoughts on what this journey has been like for you. Have a newfound appreciation for that first movie in particular, and I think it's going to be one I return to a lot more often. I think that the movies after that are very up and down. They, I would say that of all the series that we've covered, the drop in quality from the first movie to the next movie is probably the largest. And, and, and that doesn't mean that the movies are bad per se, but that there is like that, there's not another classic of the bunch. Mm. Like I look at, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you have that first movie. You have a couple other, I think, holds up really well. Same with Elm Street, same with Halloween. There's a pretty significant drop for a number of reasons. But I really like these three, well, these two characters, really, with with, um, Mike and Reggie. It's been a lot of fun to watch them in these movies. I don't know how much I'll revisit the other four movies, but that first one, I could see being a, a... I would watch it more than I would anticipate. Yeah, I um, I have really enjoyed this too. Um, I've been watching along and listening along to all the episodes, um, you know, just to kind of like bring what you guys talked about before into, into my discussions. Um, I agree, Mike. I think definitely have more of appreciation for their first movie now. And the first time I watched through phantasm i didn't have anybody to talk to about it like i didn't really know anybody else who had seen it so i was kind of like okay i'll just sit with this weirdness by myself so you know podcasting is great for that um and just like on a very selfish note i got to come on the pod for the first time and so like that was really Mm -hmm. special to me so now i'll always associate phantasm with like coming onto one of my favorite podcasts oh this has been wild. Like this franchise, I knew that it was going to be out there, but I legitimately could never have predicted <laughs> where it went. And there's something that's really exciting about that. And I appreciate that about this franchise that I literally would not have, there's several things, would not have, not, not, not have seen coming, not have predicted. And it feels very authentic to me, which mm-hmm. is, I can tell understand why people love this franchise so much even in all of its completely out there wild bananas things that don't make sense (laughs) i can see why there's so many people that do love this and that there are the you know the fan fans and you know the fourth and fifth one maybe i don't revisit those as much but i really liked the first three for different reasons and i can definitely see myself going back to those and Fingers crossed for another uh, adventure with the tall man in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> Where would you like to both see it go? If there was a remake done, what would you love? Besides the Undertaker playing the tall <laughs> I don't man. Think, I don't think we should actually do that. So I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan, Flana fan, 
whatever fan fan again flantasm <laughs> flantasm <laughs> i mean i so i mean he's obviously excellent at stephen king adaptations but i feel like he could take that energy into a different kind of adaptation he's really good at telling small intimate stories that like get you really invested in his characters and rip your heart out so like i feel like He's someone working today who could like reconnect us with the emotional weight of the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I really have no idea. Like, Phantasm is such a product of its time. It's hard for me to imagine like an updated, remade version of it. I'll watch it if it comes out. I just feel like I don't have the imagination for it. Yeah. There's so many interesting directions it could go, I think. And because it's dealing with some of these ideas that are just timeless, you know, like there's always going to be guilt and grief, right? Like that's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so like I think that that really leaves some room to play with that in interesting ways. I would like it to go back to like more of a small kind of surreal creepy vibe. Mm -hmm. Something that I think is interesting about the first one is how – you know, nobody believes Mike and he has to kind of convince them. And so it would be interesting to see like maybe the tall man like, you know, retired for a little bit because it was getting a little heat. And and so and then maybe he comes back in a different way. And I just like, oh, it'd just be so cool if it just like, you know, the prongs were up and he just walks through and you wouldn't it wouldn't even have to be him. But if you just did it right, like it could be somebody else, another actor whether or not they has like a mm-hmm. similar voice or something. And he could just walk into the world and like pretty much instantly it would just, you could just start it all new. And I just think that that would be really interesting to see. I'm of two minds and one of them will never happen because one, Angus Grimm is no longer with us and two, Robert Englund is, you know, older now. Yeah. Where New Line almost picked this up. If you could have done a crossover of Phantasm and A Nightmare on Elm Street, two movies that deal with the nightmare world and the surreal world. Like, what you could have gotten would have been amazing, I think, yes. if done in the right oh hands. And, and you mentioned Mike Flanagan. I think of the filmmakers like Benson and Moorhead, yeah. who have done The Endless, Something in the Dirt, Resolution, Spring. They have found a way to do cosmic horror in alternate dimensions these huge massive concepts but make them feel very personal and intimate they do positive male friendships in a way in most of these movies where they can show Mm -hmm. uh, male intimacy in a way better than most and i was struck by an image they recently posted There's a scene in Something in the Dirt where the two characters are like pulling at this rope Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, by the way, and it shows a a still from the endless of that that rope, same rope being pulled at that point, like tying in all of these worlds and dimensions and movies together. They're just so wonderful and creative that if you were going to give them a bigger sandbox to play in. I could love to see what like Benson and Moorhead could oh do with gosh. a Phantasm reboot. It would be great. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Why don't we start that rumor here that they're okay. in talks? I heard they're See doing if we it. can manifest it. <laughs> so, um, I heard John Cena is going to play the tall man. All right. Nope. <laughs> one one step too far. <laughs> I don't I don't want to be responsible for that. <laughs> be. 
you wouldn't be able to see him. So well, <laughs> all right. So that is. I think we 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 can put we can lay Phantasm to rest, right? Are we okay. gonna do our rankings? Oh, go ahead. Let's do that. I mean, I don't know if you guys. No, we can do have, rankings. Um, we can I'll do whatever start. we want. This show is free. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> yes. So for me, the original, like nothing's going to top the original. And then like three and four are both in second place, kind of tied for mm-hmm. me. And then five and then two. So the original is my first favorite. Two is my least favorite. Two is your least? And it's all just based on, yeah, it's just based on vibes. I like can't defend. There's like no good reason. It just, I don't know. It's James Requois. That's what it is. Yeah, I guess. The fake Mike. It must be. Oh, man. So, yeah, one, totally, totally my favorite. I'm looking at my letterbox scores, and I scored both two and three the same. So if I have to pick one, I think three. So I'm going to go one, three, two. Oh, shit. Now now I'm stuck. I'm going to go four, five. Yeah, five mm-hmm. is my least favorite. Yeah. So you're just reversing three and two. It's pretty much play straight for you. Yeah. Okay. So I would say my least favorite would be Ravager. It, and I appreciate what they were trying to do. I think the first half of it is very clever and very intriguing. Just everything from the minute Reggie wakes up in the hospital and rescued by like that kind of pseudo SWAT team. Everything after that, it just falls flat for me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with two in my next rear position. Um, I think it has the best effects of any of the movies. I think some of those special effects are great and it is definitely a fun watch, but it just overall, like it's too much of it's. It, and I think that if it came later in the series, it would have been higher up in the rankings. But mm-hmm. it's such a departure from the first movie that I'm kind of like, what? Like, am I still watching the same thing here? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, Oblivion. It's my number three. Although, catch me on a different date, I might have it at two just for that ending. Mm-hmm. I think it really does end the series in a near perfect note. It's really well done. That would leave three as my number two movie. Uh, I think the introduction of Tim is like a murderous uh, Kevin McAllister. Like, um, he really makes it for me. I think Rocky mm-hmm. is a pretty fun character. Uh, I like the reintroduction of Michael Baldwin. Uh, I think you get some peak Reggie in here as well. Between like, it's a nice mix of him being an action star and a creepy sex pest. <laughs> so you know, it's kind of fun and. The first one is a, and again, it's a huge gap between three and one for me in terms of the overall quality. Like the first one is a stone cold classic horror movie, just perfect atmosphere. I think it is the, maybe the best of representing nightmares on screen of anything I've ever watched. Um, There's a reason why it's revered 40 plus years later. Um, so I really, really enjoy it and look forward to kind of revisiting that one over and over again. So those are our rankings. So yeah, we usually don't do, I think we did like one episode where we ranked, we just devoted the whole 
show to like ranking a series and it drove me so crazy <laughs> trying to make everything fit that but I don't mind doing like a little brief one here at the end so and so, for Phantasm, it works because the movies are all so different. Yeah. You don't have to pick between two that are very similar. Mm-hmm. So it feels easier for Phantasm. Yeah. It does. It certainly does. Okay. Well, folks, that is our talk on the Phantasm series. But you want to hear more of us. You want to read more of our stuff. So we are going to tell you where you can find us right now. And Ariel, why don't you start out? Yeah, you can find me on socials at Ari underscore Hellraiser. I post everything I do on Twitter, but you should also check out ghoulsmagazine.com. We have our monthly themes all picked out for the year. And so, you know, we're doing like a Valentine's Day theme right now. We've got some really nasty stuff coming. So I'm very excited. Check that out. Excellent. Rachel, how about yourself? Yep, yep. I'm on Twitter at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L, and Instagram at The Vinyl Girl. And yeah, I'll always share random podcast appearances and articles and stuff there. So yeah, you can always find my stuff there. Excellent. You can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian over on Twitter. You can find uh, the same username over on Instagram. Find me at Letterboxd at Mike Chump Change as well. I've been doing a pretty good job of updating everything this year and having some fun with that. I paid for the pro account, so damn it, I'm going to use it. Um <laughs> My other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, is still running, and Jen and Laura, my co-hosts, are both on a bit of a break right now, but we've had a ton of incredible fill-in hosts, including uh, Rachel, who's jumped in on episodes. February, we're doing like uh, Bad Romance slash Couples in Crisis. Uh, Up right now, our first episode of the month was on Possession where we had Jessica Scott and Taffa V join me for what I thought was an, every time I shut my mouth was an awesome discussion <laughs> on possession with what Jess and Taffa brought to the table. Um, that was a really fun episode to do for a not fun movie to watch. Uh, and later this week, my episode for the same show on an American werewolf in London will post my all-time favorite horror movie with guest uh, Rebecca McCallum of Ghouls Magazine as well. And she was a fantastic guest that I'm trying to weasel into getting to appear on more things because like she is just so clever and smart. So I want to talk to her more. Um, Most definitely. Yeah. So you can check that out. And I have a guest appearance on the Movies for Life pod with uh, Brian Kuyper, who jumps on these episodes. Often we get to talk about a non-horror movie. Uh, We talk about Rocky, one of my all-time favorite movies, a movie that makes me cry like a baby Mm -hmm. at the end of it. So uh, I was on with Brian and Michelle on Movies for Life to talk about that. So yeah, that's some plugs for me right now. And let's talk about what's coming up. And Rachel, do you want to tell listeners what the next series we're going to do is? Oh my gosh, yes. Do you hear that? Do you hear that air horn in the the background? Because uh, (laughs) lock your doors, we're doing the purge. (laughs) Yeah, we, uh, 
you know, it's a fun, fi- another five film series. It's a lot of fun. I think like the movies are all pretty good. Or at least the ones I've seen so far are pretty good. And I think both of you are going to be on a number of those episodes. And what do we have coming down the road? So I, as a joke, just was like, let's see what people say. Like, and I forget why I did. I'm like, what? What series from the aughts should we cover, Saw or the Wrong Turn movies? Thinking that Saw would obviously win out in a pretty handy vote. And listeners know I'm not a huge fan of the Saw movies. I've only watched a few of them. It was a fucking tie. It was like we got a lot more votes than I thought it, and it was exactly a 50-50 tie. So We're doing both. I have. <laughs> We're doing both. I voted. And then one of our <laughs> listeners, she posted, oh, you know, I clicked the wrong button. It should have been this movie. But you know what? The vote is cast. We saw this in 2000. Like the reason why George W. Bush was elected were hanging chads in Florida. And so I figure if you can't redo a presidential election, uh <laughs> you know, something as unimportant as that, then this vote has to be (laughs) extremely binding. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be covering in probably August through October. We'll be covering the Saw series (laughs) um, because I want to time it for Saw 10 coming out over Halloween weekend. And maybe that will end the show once and for all. (laughs) Maybe it'll be like, fuck it, I'm done. Or... You're going to love it way more than you think. It's going to breathe new life into everything, and we're all going to skip off in the sunset. It could. If Saw X is our 200th episode, if it works out that way, I may just break into tears. I just might cry. Because we're going to hit 200 episodes this year. Uh, That's exciting. And we'll also cover the wrong turns. Which, to be fair, Part 1, Part 2, and the remake are all fantastic. So three of them I'm really looking forward to. Like, the remake of Wrong Turn is fucking awesome. I agree. Especially how it ends. People are stupid. Uh, But not our listeners. Our (laughs) listeners are amazing. They're geniuses, and they're all attractive. (laughs) They're all super attractive. Um, Wrong Turn 4 is also very good. Okay. So okay, three is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I'll just tell you that oh, right. Now. Excellent. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Better or worse than like the Lost Boy sequel? I haven't seen it. Can't. Okay. Can't, uh, can't say. Much so. smarter than I am because I had to sit through both of those. Okay, so listeners, thank you so much. We'll be back in probably two weeks with our first Purge episode. I'm going to give it a little bit of time, and then I'm going to try to do weekly on the purge but i just want to take a little bit of a breather maybe we'll do a like a what are we watching show in between that um but just to get let kind of get everything set up and get that next series set up right um in the meantime go ahead and wherever you are getting this show from take a moment make sure to rate us leave us a five-star rating give us a quick review and make sure you subscribe to us. That makes all the algorithm gods very happy. It has new listeners finding us. Uh, so we would really appreciate that. Look, we are, much like the Phantoms of series, a little indie podcast <laughs> with no money, uh, no money to us. And we are solely, uh, we just need your support. 
and we have had a ton of new listeners come in and for that i am super grateful uh, i'm super grateful to all my co-hosts so uh, i hope all of them are safe and sound and don't don't get murdered off in whatever <laughs> purge we do <laughs> on that note we're out have a great couple weeks